0: Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you could spend the next hour with us as we discuss all things horror, get updated on the latest news, headlines, trailers, and whatnot. I hope everyone's enjoying their evening. It is extremely hot and muggy here in the mid-Atlantic United States. And Icky Heart, hello, Icky Heart, saying, Viz, you're really hot. Thank you, Icky Heart, and uh, that means a lot, because I have this huge-ass zit right over my left eye, so thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> want to welcome Philip. Khaleesi is joining us. Cha uh, is also with us, as is Barney. I hope everyone's enjoying their day. I hope you guys got to see our interview yesterday with the very talented and lovely Maria Gabriela Cardenas with uh, fascinating talk last night. And some scheduling notes to uh, share with you coming up. Starting this Thursday, our guest is going to be Tenille Reed from the show Surreal Estate. But starting this Thursday straight through till the end of August, August 30th, as of right now, we literally have guests lined up for every single day. So, uh... Saz is going to put up the webs- uh, our web address on the chats. So you guys can go check out who's coming up in the order they're coming up. Uh, we have a lot of fascinating filmmakers, actors, uh, spanning the whole horror genre. So you're going to want to tune in. We have a lot of exciting guests uh, coming up. And then that brings us straight into Labor Day here in the United States. Labor Day... Um, weekend i am going to be attending the new jersey horror film festival up at atlantic city we're going to be covering that for dead talk live uh that's going to be the weekend of labor day obviously and uh there is some cool ass guests that are going to be there uh damien leon is going to be there art the clown or the guy who plays art the clown is going to be there And a whole bunch more. If you guys are going to be in or around near the Atlantic City, New Jersey area, we would love for you to come and join us. And then October, of course, we have New York Comic Con that we will be attending as well. So lots of exciting stuff coming up. And uh, we're going to be sharing all that with you. I want to welcome Lindsay uh, Colette, who uh, has just joined us. Uh, Colette is from England, and she's saying it is quite cool here in England. I wish I could say the same for here in the washington d c area of the United States. It is hot, it is muggy, it is raining it is disgusting it's august, yeah, it is August and anyone who everyone who lives in the United States from the midwest eastwards. You basically know all about the heat and humidity. Those people living on the other side of the Rocky Mountains, uh, they don't know what about the humidity that we experience on this side of the country. They have that nice dry climate air. Even though it does get pretty hot in the desert, they have no humidity to deal with, though. So, you know. It still gets pretty damn hot out there, though. Uh, so, Philip writes, we're all... We are all on fire here in Montana. Uh, I hope you don't mean that literally. I hope you just mean you're going through a pretty terrible heat wave like we are over here. So, anyway, I want to welcome Nia, who's waving at us. Uh, last of the Homigans is just... Sorry, Last of the Mohegans is joined us as well. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Lindsay Sparks is with us saying I just watched all three Fear Street movies. They are awesome Yeah, they are. I'm finally you got around to watching them Lindsay Uh, If you guys have not watched Fear Street on Netflix yet the trilogy that came out Literally each movie came out a week apart. Uh, You got to watch it binge it binge it Uh, You won't be disappointed. It is fun it is horror, there's some great music from back in the 90s, and you will, like I said, you will not be disappointed. So, let's get on with some news, as uh, we have, there's some, some interesting articles that have come out. And I wanted to go with this one first. 13 Crazy Behind-The-Scene Secrets from Classic Horror Movies. And of course, you have the picture there from the original Halloween where Michael Myers is standing right behind those hedges. Uh, While you may have found, while you may have fond memories of the most thrilling moments from your favorite classic horror movies, such as the original Halloween from 1978 or the Oscar winning the exorcist. When is the last time you thought about the effort that went into creating these frightful experiences? Despite being one of the most influential and successful film genres, horror does not always get the appreciation it deserves. And, man, I have spoken about this. Uh, People in horror really like to latch onto that. That the horror genre does not get the appreciation it deserves. Like I just said, it's one of the most successful Genres out there, uh, it may not get recognized as much as we would like when it comes time to award seasons, but dude <laughs> I mean it's one of the top genres out there, and has been for a very long time uh, anyway, horror does not always get the appreciation it deserves, especially when you consider the passion, patience, technical mastery. And even suffering the cast and crew indoor for the sake of a good scare. You may never look at some of the best horror movies the same way again after learning the shocking behind the scene facts, starting with the clever trick used in one of history's most iconic shockers. Now, the blood from Psycho's shower scene is really chocolate syrup. And why not? You could get away with that back in black and white movie days. As hard as some may uh, try, including, including Janet Lee herself, it is impossible to forget the frightening scene from Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho in which Lee's character, Marion Crane, meets a bitter end while using the shower at the infamous Bates Motel right down to the shot of her blood swirling down the drain. Of course, as Retrospective by History.com reveals, the blood is actually chocolate syrup, which the 1960 thriller's black-and-white cinematography hides perfectly. I knew that. I don't know how many of you knew that, but that's a little tidbit that I knew for for a bit. Black-and-white movies, you know, blood is not that hard to fake no color uh nowadays i mean shoot moving into the 80s if you go and watch some of the great movies from the late 70s and 80s like dawn of the dead dawn of the dead is a perfect example if you compare uh the blood that was used in dawn of the dead to you know how far practical effects have come to today not even to mention cgi and stuff but even the blood from like Dawn of the Dead back then it you know it doesn't look anywhere near as good as the blood that we see on the screen today. So uh let's see Future Freddy Krueger actor Robert England worked on the Halloween set that I did not know. Janet Lee's daughter Jamie Lee Curtis also went on to become one of the greatest horror screen queens after playing Laurie Strode in Halloween, which arguably pioneered the modern-day slasher. Apparently, according to a report by Screen Rant, director John Carpenter's breakout hit was one of his first gigs for, for another legend of the genre, a Nightmare on Elm Street star Robert England, who was hired for one day to spread fake leaves on the set In order to hide the fact that the film, set in the Midwest on October 31st, was shot during the spring in Pasadena, years before he was cast as Freddy Krueger. Wow. Damn. I did not know that good old Freddy Krueger worked even for one day on the set of Halloween. That is intriguing. Uh, Robert England. Uh I was first introduced to Robert England when he played Good Old Willie on the original V series on television. Uh that's where I got to meet Robert England. And if you see the if you guys ever watch the original V series from the 80s, uh which I really love by the way. Uh he plays one of the aliens, but he's a good alien. He's not like the other ones that are bad and stuff. And he plays such a sweet, naive, innocent character, you would never realize that this actor would go on to become the evil, maniacal Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. That's how good of an actor Robert Englund is. Next on the list, Kane Hodder plays Freddy Krueger in Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Wow. Okay. Speaking of Freddy Krueger, the burned boogeyman would fight Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason 10 years after the duel was teased in Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday in 1993. Kane Hodder, known for playing the Friday the 13th movie's prolific killer the most, revealed during an interview with Pop Horror that he was actually the one wearing the ratty sweater and bladed glove that pulled Jason's mask underground for the teaser, and not Robert England. In other words, Hodder had the honor of playing both Jason and Freddy. How about that? Efren saying he was uh on the movie Dead and Buried even before that. Wow. I mean that's how far back uh Robert Englund's career goes. Wow, I, I'm not I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Uh that that was Kane Hodder. I mean it was just a glove and it was just a teaser. But still. I mean they could have picked anybody, uh, to do that teaser. We're literally talking about a hand coming out from the ground, grabbing the hockey mask, and pulling it into the earth. But the fact that they chose Kane Hodder, uh, you know, I guarantee you they did that on purpose. So, fake blood flooded the Nightmare on Elm Street set during Johnny Depp's uh, death scene. And those of you who don't remember, Johnny Depp was in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I bet Robert England almost wished it was Kane Hodder playing Freddy instead of him when filming Johnny Depp's death scene in the original Nightmare on Elm Street because it resulted in a literal bloodbath. The stunning sequence from Wes Craven's 1984 hit was shot on a set built to rotate 360 degrees to create the effect of blood erupting from Glenn's bed. Star Heather Langenkamp recalls in an oral history by Rolling Stone how a mistake sent gallons of blood where it should not have touched. And she says, quote, It was supposed to revolve clockwise, but the grips pushed it the wrong way and nobody could stop it. The blood just flew out onto the ground where all the electrical equipment is, I think some of the power might have gone out momentarily, but the scary thing was that there was blood everywhere. It was just disgusting. Fake blood looks just like real blood. If you don't like the look of blood, don't get into horror. (laughs) That's a great little quote there. All right, moving on to Carrie. Carrie Sissy Spacek slept in her bloody clothes for days to maintain continuity. Now, there's dedication. That's dedication to your craft right there. Academy Award winner Sissy Spacek had no choice but to get covered in fake blood for the climax of 1976's Carrie, but apparently had no qualms about staying covered in it for an extended period of time. PJ Souls, who played Norma in the Stephen King adaptation from director Brian De Palma, Revealed to vulture why her co-star Voluntarily stayed bloody for longer than most actors would agree to And a little side note there PJ souls who was in Carrie? She's also the one who played Linda in the original 1978 Halloween so this is the quote from PJ souls she had a trailer Pull behind MGM Studios in Culver City and she slept in that blood for three days. I was like, you're amazing that you would want to sleep in that sticky, icky stuff. And she was like, nah, it's got to match. I want it to look great. That's loving your craft right there. Uh, DG writes, wow, delicious... Dedication or cuckoo, thin line between the two, I lean towards dedication. Sissy Spacek is an amazing actress. Now, uh, with the lengths that Sissy Spacek went just for the sake of continuity, it is almost a shame that her Oscar nomination for playing the telekinetic team did not result in a win. Now, that right there, okay, this is going back to the 70s. If you want to make a claim on how how horror is underappreciated, yes, that is a legitimate claim. And I said it. When it comes times for awards, Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, whatever, the horror genre is not taken as seriously. Whether it's not taken as seriously or whatever excuse you want to give it, Yeah, you've got a full argument right there. Great shows, great performances, like The Walking Dead, you know? Almost no Emmy wins, no Emmy nominations, and that's just unacceptable. All right, moving on. Tony Todd really had live bees in his mouth and on his face when filming Candyman. One horror movie actor who especially deserves recognition for the suffering he endured for a role is tony todd who played the title role of candy man which is uh, being remade and coming out this year in writer and producer clive barker's 1992 classic those bees that the scream king had on his bare skin and inside his mouth as his terrifying urban legend were not created with any CGI trickery, but they were 100% real. Todd, who wore a dental dam to prevent the insects from flying down his throat, told The Guardian that he requested $1,000 for each time he was stung, and if I was him, I would have requested $1,000 for each damn live bee that they put inside my mouth. Uh, and he was stung 23 times by his count. So he made an extra $23,000 on that. Uh, Drew Barrymore never met the man on the phone before filming the Scream intro. Drew, Drew Barrymore did not go to such extremes when starring in the original Scream from ninety-six. But there was one particular creepy choice made to improve her performance and that of her co-stars, too. In the 1996 slasher revival, Roger L. Jackson, the voice of Ghostface, told Vice that the phone conversation between him and the E.T. actress in that riveting opener was a live conversation that she had not met him before filming. This created an authentic feeling of a stranger being on the other end of the line and was repeated with actors throughout the film. Interesting. Uh, Efren is laughing. Sorry, there's not enough money in the world you can pay me to put a damn bee in my mouth. Well, you know, that's what it takes, man. That's what it takes. And that's what this article is all about. Stanley Kubrick's secretary spent months... Typing Jack's novel in The Shining before we go any further Do you think you know, I'm sure a lot of you have watched the original Shining and uh, you'll notice that when uh, The wife goes and checks on what he's been typing. He's been typing the same phrase over and over again So I wonder if that's what, what they mean here a non actor who I certainly empathize with for her contribution To a classic horror movie is Margaret Warrington, who was Stanley Kubrick's secretary around the time he was making The Shining. The Oscar-winning filmmaker had the woman type every word of Jack Torrance's, played by Jack Nicholson, book that he works on during his family stay at the infamous Overlook Hotel, which his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, Discovers consists of the same ten words. You guys remember what that phrase was? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Over and over and over again. If only the epic 1980 Stephen King adaptation had been made after the invention of copy and paste. Alright, moving on to Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Shaun of the Dead zombie extra bit Edgar Wright's leg. Sometimes a director is the one who ends up suffering for his art. Such as Edgar Wright, uh, the Last Night in Soho director, co-wrote a piece for The Guardian with Simon Pegg about their experience making Shaun of the Dead, one of the greatest horror comedy movies ever made. Uh, which mentions the time one of his zombie actors took their role a little too far and chomped down on Wright's leg. In the actor's defense, the director did ask the horde to attack him. Well, there you go. I mean, you as a director, if you come out and say to your actors who are playing a zombie horde, attack me, I would do the same thing too. i bite his ass. Well, not literally his You know, you guys know what I mean. Anyway, George, George Lucas got stuck in the mechanical shark from Jaws. All right. Steven Spielberg was also not prepared for the hysteria he would face the set of his breakout horror hit, Jaws, which was mostly due to the technical difficulties that their mechanical star frequently suffered. Someone who experienced these flaws first-handed, and terrifyingly so, was George Lucas, who got his head stuck in the shark as the result of a prank gone wrong while visiting the set. Curious about its inner workings, the future Star Wars movie creator voluntarily put his head inside the shark when Spielberg and John Milius activated the jaw clamp only to panic when they became temporarily unable to get Lucas out. Now that's just a cruel joke. I mean, come on. I mean, somebody is on your set checking out this huge mechanical shark. They want to take a look inside and you push the button to close the damn, shaws, the damn uh, shark's jaws on his head. That's a little cruel. I wouldn't even do that. Lisa writes, Laughed my ass off when they were beating that zombie to the Queen song. Khaleesi writes, I watched the two-hour documentary on the making of Jaws. I've seen that as well. Pretty interesting stuff. And remember, guys, according to me, Jaws is not a horror movie. Uh, Alright, next on the list, real human skeletons were used for the ending of the poltergeist. Why? Uh, Steven Spielberg would return to the horror genre as just a story writer and producer, on paper at least, for Poltergeist, in which a suburban family suffers terrifying circumstances in their house that was built above a former cemetery site. Now those of you who have seen the movie know that the developer of the neighborhood took the cheap way out. Instead of actually moving the cemetery, which includes the remains, he just moved the headstones and left the bodies buried. They do not realize this, however, until the final act of the film, when Joe Beth Williams' character is attacked in their unfinished backyard swimming pool by skeletons, which, according to Screen Rant, were not fake, but came from real human skeletons purchased From a medical supply company. No wonder so many people believe that the Poltergeist movie is indeed cursed. I still don't understand why would you want to use real skeletons. I would assume that fake skeletons are cheaper than actually buying human bones from a medical supply company. That's just my guess. Uh, Khaleesi writes. I think the skeletons came from overseas. Uh, where they came from, I don't know, but I don't. Uh, that's just a little too weird for me. All right, moving on. All but Reagan's room on the Exorcist set was destroyed in a fire. This is kind of a famous story. Another quote-unquote cursed movie is The Exorcist, which really has director William Friedkin's questionable methods, uh, dropping the temperature below freezing, slapping actor Jason Miller before a scene, or using Ellen Bernstein's genuine reaction to a back injury for a take to blame for much of its infamy. However, The Sun's report about the thriller does include one eerie fact that makes a good cause for its haunting history. A bird flew into a circuit box on the McNeil house set, causing a fire that destroyed everything except for the bedroom where the possessed Reagan, played by Linda Blair, lived. That's kind of spooky and creepy right there. All right, moving on to The Conjuring 2. Uh, The set was allegedly haunted. Strange things also happened on the set of The Conjuring 2, According to the star, Patrick Wilson, while promoting the James Wan directed sequel to Metro UK, the actor claimed that the cast and crew witnessed a large curtain moving violently on its own with no apparent explanation, as, as quote, there was no door open, no fan on, no nothing. Wilson then said that a priest was brought on the set, in hopes to calm whatever spirits could have been behind the unusual occurrences. Now there has to have been a lot more going on to actually bring a priest onto the set to bless it. So uh stories like the uh so sorry stories like that make a moviegoer wonder if they are watching something that is not meant to be seen by the human eye. However, for a horror fan, it only makes the experience that much better. There you guys have it. That was actually a pretty intriguing list. A lot of it I had never heard of before. Lindsay Sparks writes, Oh my God, that's a little creepy. Colette loved Poltergeist. And, you know, Poltergeist was legitimately a scary movie. It was when I saw it when I was a young kid. And I haven't seen it in many, many years. But I have no doubt that if I was tonight gonna go and re-watch it again, it would still creep me out. That clown, that that frickin' clown doll in the boys room. Damn, I mean that's some creepy ass shit right there. Uh Papa Doe writes, I'm scared. Uh uh, let's see. Vega says, I love you. Well, thank you. uh, Sorry. How do I cannot pronounce that? Yeah, that username Vagela Vagela welcome Vagela and thank you for joining us Uh, Khaleesi also writes that freaking clown Colette writes. I hate clowns. I never really thought much about clowns before But recently the more I think about it. I don't like him either. They really are creepy and scary, and if you guys actually read the origins on how clowns came to be, yeah, they were not created uh, for circus amusement. It's a totally different history than what you might think clowns are there for. Uh, (laughs) Papadopoulos, now, Papadopoulos, To my defense, I am Greek. I just cannot make out the uh, pronunciation with all the extra characters. But I love how he enunciates his name for me, Papadopoulos. So, my apologies, my fellow Greek. Anyway, let's move on to the next story. Uh, Melo Giallo has the horror genre lost its ability to shock. That all depends on what movie you're watching. Uh, once banished to the video nasty list, the former, the formerly trashy subgenre, spearheaded by Dario Argento, is now seen as high art, dulling its rougher edges. Giallo began as the trashiest. I've not. I mean, Giallo began as the trashiest of genres. Derived from uh, pulp Italian novels, it was distinguished by, among other things, serial killers, lurid violence, and copious female nudity. Half a century later, though, Giallo has pretty much become respectable cinema, high art even. You can track this journey in the Blood New British Horror Censor, directed by Prano Bailey Bond. The story is set in the early 1980s at the height of the video nasty panic when horror films were banished to the vaults by uh, Tory politicians so as to preserve the delicate moral fiber of the nation. Alongside the cannibal movies and Nazi exploitation films on the banned list were gialli such as Dario Argento's Tenebrae, and Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood. Censor itself... Now, Censor is the name of a movie, and it goes... The movie itself is about... uh, It's centered on the movie rating system and how uh, a particular character uh, puts a rating on a movie and ends up getting blamed and off it goes. Anyway, censor itself, in which a film censor is sucked into the horror movie industry she is fighting against, borrows heavily from the Giallo playbook. Argento fans will delight in the film's deliriously surreal climax, the vivid color palette, stylized lighting, and synth score. Giallo in general, and Argento in particular, have been plundered by many a subsequent filmmakers, and in recent years, the homages have come thick and fast. There was Peter Strickland's terrific Barbarian Sound Studio, set in the world of 1970 Italian horror itself, as well as Belgian duo Helen Catet and Bruno Forzani's Overt Tributes, Nicholas Winding Refn's The Neon Demon, Borrowed from Bava's Blood and Black Lace and Argento's nineteen seventy-seven classic Suspiria while Luca Guadag- sorry, I'm gonna butcher this Guadag- ah, Guadagno, I'll definitely butcher that, went one step further following up Call Me by Your Name with a wholesale remake of Suspiria, though his version lacked. The Apparatic Excess of the original. So let's check out a trailer again for *Sensor*. So you guys, this is an interesting movie. Watch. This depiction is dangerous. Come on, ain't it? I'm cutting it. Butchering, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer Ident Investment Films. Maybe you could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. This this actress. Oh, this really that's nice. Nina? Oh, my sister. You know, if someone did take it, then they're still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. I was wondering if you had anything else than this actress. What's going to happen to her? That's top secret. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there. In all of us. Now, it says coming soon. Now, we've been reading about this movie for a while now. Uh, I want to watch it. I have no idea when it's coming out. Uh, No idea when it's coming out. If anybody knows uh, when it's it's going to be released and where, please share. Because I've been wanting to see this movie since we first read about it. As you can see, it does take place in the 80s. Back then, ratings were really, really relevant. Uh, I mean, when was the last time anyone here has been to the movies and... You have seen maybe someone who might look under the age of 17 trying to get into an R-rated movie and actually get called out on it. Ratings now are not as prevalent as they were back then, especially with digital streaming. I mean, you have all sorts of different ratings. You have PG-13, PG-TV-13, TV-14, non-rated tv 13 tv 14 non rated The majority of films today, because of the digital streaming, if they're not coming to theatrical release, they're not even rated at all. They don't go through the rating systems. But back then, where, you know, to the movies, and then a long time later, you will get the VHS release. So movies ratings were very prevalent, and they were not as complicated as they are today. There were basically three ratings. Either it was PG, PG-13 came later, I believe, and R. And that's it. Those that, that were those were the three basic ratings. Anyway, the Giallo Renaissance continues uh, a pace even further into the mainstream. This year, uh, Palma d'Or winners at Cannes, Julie DuCarneau's Titan, was described as neo-giallo by some critics and Edgar Wright's much-anticipated horror Last Night in Soho, and that stars Nicolas Cage, starring Anna Taylor, Thomas and Mackenzie, and shaping up by another hallucinogenic homage to the genre. Giallo did have its nasty side. Usually made by men, it's often reveled in female objectification and violence against women although the best of the genre delved into issues of masculine weakness often putting female characters to the fore recent neo giallo such as censor discard what is dated about genre and keep what is great not only the heightened aesthetics but also the focus on trauma perception, and gender. This time, though, a female gaze. Thankfully, censor also retains the pulpy shocklessness of a proper giallo, rather than seeking to elevate it to high art. Perhaps that's what makes giallo so enduring. It is neither pure trash nor high art, it's both. And if somebody can define for me what high art is, I would really appreciate it. I have no idea. I wish I can tell you, but I don't. A movie that is considered high art? Clueless. Absolutely clueless. Uh, Lisa writes, back in the day, it was very strict with the ratings. Uh, Khaleesi writes, it was saying... In regards to sensor, it was released June 11th uh, when it was opened in theaters. Okay. I'm assuming Khaleesi it's not yet available for digital streaming, which is kind of odd since we're now in the middle of August and uh, that theatrical release was back in June. So, anyway. Uh, man, I can't believe we're 40 minutes in already. Uh, behind the Monster Shutter series, a new Shutter series focuses on horror icons. And uh, I just want this is a YouTube video. Let's just see what this is about, real quick. Fresh meat. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the Shutter streaming service has announced an October 26th premiere date. ...for the documentary series called Behind the Monsters... ...which will focus on some of our favorite horror icons. Each episode will be entirely dedicated to a different icon... ...and the six episodes of the first season... ...will put the spotlight on Candyman... ...Chucky... ...Jason... ...Michael Myers... ...Freddy Krueger... ...and Pinhead. A stage three production, Behind the Monsters, is written and directed by Gabriel Binkley and Anthony Uro. Here is the information on each episode. Candyman featuring interviews with the original Candyman 1992 director, Bernard Rose and stars Tony Todd and Virginia Matson. Candyman 2021 director, Nia DaCosta, and horror noir's Tanarive Dewey, among others. Chucky, With an interview with Child's Play 1988 creator-writer Don Mancini, director Tom Holland, and star Catherine Hicks, along with the voice of Chucky, the infamous and great Brad Dourif. Jason Voorhees includes interviews with Kane Hodder, actor Stuntman from Friday the 13th, Part 7, 8, Jason Goes to Hell, and Jason X. And Tom Savini, a guest of ours as well, special effects creator on Friday the 13th, part one, and four, among others. Now, when we had Tom Savini as our guest, along with Greg Nicotero and Anthony Timpone, I asked Tom, you know, a lot of people don't realize is that Tom Savini in the original Friday the 13th is the one who gave us what Jason Voorhees looks like. Back then, he was a little kid in that sequence in the end of the movie when Jason pops out from the lake grabbing Alice, played by Adrian King, and pulls her down under the water. Uh, So they brought Tom in to create Jason and all the other effects for the movie in the original Friday the 13th. And it's funny, if you go back and you watch that interview... With Tom, he says they brought him back for Friday the 13th Part 4, which was titled The Final Chapter, to properly kill him. And I'm assuming a lot of you have seen Friday the 13th Part 4. Uh, You know, you really would think that the way Jason goes out with a machete literally splitting almost the top of his head in half uh, that would have been the end of him but no they it was not the final chapter it went on for a long time they even sent the dude into space now Michael Myers episodes featuring interviews with actor Nick Castle from Halloween and new Halloween films from Blumhouse as well as Halloween 2018 stunt actor James Jude Courtney, among others. The Freddy Krueger episode includes interviews with A Nightmare on Elm Street 1984 and Wes Craven's New Nightmare 1994 stars Heather Langenkamp and Lynn Shay, as well as special effects designer Jim Doyle, among others. And the final episode, which is about Pinhead, includes an interview with Hellraiser actor... Doug Bradley and others. And I am fortunate enough to have met Doug Bradley back in the 90s. Uh, we even had breakfast, you know, uh, he was literally at the next table during the horror convention that we were attending. Now, Deadline notes that the additional guests on the show will include Drock and Swan, Boulette, and the Boulette brothers, Dragula. Horror Noir Documentary Writer-Producer Ashley Blackwell. The Last Podcast on the Left, uh, Ben Kissel and Henry Zabrowski, Blumhouse Producer Ryan Turek. And Filmmakers Jeffrey Reddick, Final Destination. April Wolf, Black Christmas 2019. David Bruckner, The Hellraiser Reboot. And Filmmaker and Drag Artist Peaches Christ. Or Crist. Uh, Shudder will be releasing the episodes on a weekly basis, and I'll be watching this show for sure. Behind the Monsters is executive produced by Phil Noble Jr., Kelly Ryan, and Mark Schustrom. So, uh, there you guys have it. If you guys want to watch or look, take a look behind some of the most iconic horror figures... Uh, mostly from the 80s and early 90s. Check that out on Shudder. Efren writes that Censor is in Amazon Prime. Thank you. That is what I'm going to be watching tonight. Censor. Let's quickly go through some other articles as we are running short on time. Uh, Let's see what we got. I want to touch on our subject for tonight. Is Alana Bowden playing the bride of Dracula in Screen Jam's next horror film? I don't know. Uh, American Horror Stories finale cast. Who's returning from Murder House? American Horror Stories first season is ending where it all began. Series creator Ryan Murphy on Tuesday confirmed that the anthology season finale called Game Over will once again take us back to the iconic murder house where we will, will where we will encounter some famous faces including a new a few American horror story favorites let's start with who's returning yeah Dylan McDermott is coming back and Jamie Brewer are reprising their roles from American Horror Stories first season as Dr Ben Harmon and Adelaide Addy Langdon, respectively. This marks the first time Brewer has played Addy since AHS Murder House, whereas McDermott brought Ben back in an episode of AHS Apocalypse in 2018. So, I am looking forward to that. And the first season is coming to an end. And I have to say overall, I'm pretty impressed with the new anthology spinoff, American Horror Stories. Uh, we'll see this article maybe for tomorrow. amazon uh, Amazon's Welcome to the Blumhouse set to return with four new horror films. Blumhouse and Amazon love working together. There's a lot of Blumhouse production movies on Amazon Prime. So, if you're a big fan of Blumhouse Productions, Amazon Prime is the place to go. Uh, Viz. Lisa writes, Viz, you need to extend your show to two hours. This hour goes by so fast. It's, uh, it's exhausting. It's fun. I love talking to you guys, but two hours, I can't do that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. When these broadcasts are over, I literally just like glaze over because uh, I put 110% into bringing this show to you guys. So let's touch on uh, horror franchises that need a reboot, okay? Uh, reboots have been all the rage taking existing properties and breathing new life by either doing a sequel Meant to kickstart the series again, or to completely reimagine the franchise for a new take and new universe to explore. Sometimes reboots are necessary, and we're going to be looking at some franchises that who might just need the reboot treatment. Now, you might disagree with this first one because it has been... There have been a ton of sequels, it's been rebooted multiple times, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there is another reboot that is coming. Uh, Word is that it's uh, hard to say what the story is going to be, or even if what the franchise needs. The series has really lost its step since the first film, with no sequel ever matching the tone or quality of Toby Hooper's original. It's lacking anything really interesting. Even with a new film in production, there are still low expectations for what it can do to help the franchise. A Nightmare on Elm Street. They did try to reboot Freddy Krueger uh, several years ago. It did not do well. Uh, The movie itself was not horrible. It's just that true hardcore Freddy Krueger fans cannot see anybody else but Robert England and what he brought to the character now moving on Friday the 13th that is a complicated story when it comes to rebooting that franchise because one of our guests uh our prior guest was Shelley from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, Larry Zerner, who is now an entertainment lawyer and still does some acting. Uh, he told us that basically, over copyright ownership and whatnot, the series is in litigation. It's tied up in the court systems. That's why you have not seen uh, a new Friday the Thirteenth movie in a lot of years uh you know you haven't seen jason in quite a while not because they have completely given up on uh jason Voorhees, just the fact that the uh ownership rights it's being litigated in court you know there's lawsuits pending whether that will ever be resolved or not who knows uh Eventually it will be, and I do believe that they are going to reboot the franchise in one way or another. How they do it, I have no idea. But that's why you have not seen Jason Voorhees on the screen in quite a while. Uh, Here's an interesting one from a not-too-long-ago movie, I Am Legend. Written by a legendary author, still hasn't been told the right way. Um, The Wolfman... One of the original Universal Monsters deserves a lot more respect than he's given. Hellraiser, now right there, Hellraiser. It'll be hard to match the original uh, and what Clive Barker brought to the screen with his novel. But man, if the right person takes on the project, uh, there could be something there. But it's very delicate. If if it goes wrong, there's going to be some big uh, fallout if they screw up a Hellraiser reboot. Now, moving on, Creature from the Black Lagoon, another monster from the past, uh, could possibly be re- rebooted. The Dead Zone, a Stephen King movie, uh, the original with Christopher Walken, that has been redone for television, but It was somewhat of a success on television, but any of you that have seen the original uh, The Dead Zone with uh, Christopher Walken, it's a great, great film. And uh, I'm not talking about rebooting this into a television series, which they've already done. I'm talking about redoing the original movie uh, with Stephen King's original source material. That would be interesting the thing now there's a reason why nobody has redone the thing it is because it's one of those classics that again anyone who takes this out who takes this project on and tries to reboot it they know that if they screw it up it's gonna break them but if they turn it into a success it's gonna be a huge win for their career and whatnot so Uh, Let's see. The last movie on the list is Phantom of the Opera, one of the original horror tragedy stories. Perfect material for a modern audience. The original movie practically invented the concept of monster makeup and is legendary. It is a story much darker and more vibrant than the musical and there's a lot that can be done to actually tell an actual horror story. So there you guys have it. We are all pretty much out of time. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, if you look on the chats, you can see all of our sites to see the list of our upcoming guests uh, and whatnot. Like I said, starting this Thursday through the end of August, we are gonna be having a special guest on every night. So make sure you guys tune in for that. It's gonna be great and there's a lot of exciting stuff coming on we are officially now on screen box so if you guys want to check out screen box they offer a free seven-day trial dead talk lives an official television show available on Screenbox box and amazon prime video so if you want to support us please subscribe to Screenbox box and check us out there they would be very much appreciated Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow night. And until then, stay safe. And remember, always, always stay walking. Good night.